my one birthday joke I get to tell once a year. When I was born, I broke my mom's tailbone. I've been a pain in her backside ever since, I guess. <laughs> what a blessing that is, amen. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mamas. <laughs> well, we have been meticulously, and I mean meticulously, studying the Holy Spirit. It's been a help to me. Before we started the series, I, uh, I know shame on me, right? I, I was like, man, I really want to go knee deep into this thing. And the week before, I'd been studying and preparing, but the week before, I ran into this fellow in uh, Saginaw. And the first thing he asked me is, have I had uh, the initial evidence of having the Holy Ghost by speaking in tongues? I said, okay, Lord, I get the picture. <laughs> And that fellow's uh, all messed up there, and he's a super guy, and he gave the boys a bunch of discounts on dress code. So there's benefit for being a charismatic. you got to deal on some suits, amen? But this lesson tonight is on the work, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a worker, amen? And we've already learned, of course, in previous lessons in this series that the Holy Spirit's a divine personality who has a definite function in this world. So we're going to... Do our best to cover the work of the Holy Spirit. We won't finish it, but we'll get a good uh, ways into it. And uh, before we get into the preaching tonight, Dad, why don't you uh, ask the blessing on it tonight? Amen. Now, as the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit has been very, very, very active. Very active. His activity has been shown in regard to the universe and, of course, in regards to the people on the earth. And if you consider how the Holy Spirit works today, his ministry has changed somewhat since Acts chapter 2. His ministry has changed somewhat in regards to believers. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, he had a come and go ministry come and go. And this is very clear by his dealing with Saul, by his dealing with Samson, and his dealing with David. Consider that the Holy Spirit left Samson and then returned later at the end of his life. Consider the Holy Spirit left Saul and never returned. And when you get into Hebrews chapter 11, you know the two people you don't find in there? You don't find Saul and you don't find Solomon. Wouldn't that be a crazy thought to see a man that was the son of David, a man after God's own heart? I'm not saying he's not. But wouldn't that be something? Because uh, if you read the history account, the historical account, uh, he went out bad. All those outlandish women, the Bible says, caused him to sin and turned his heart, <laughs> you know, and uh, got in such a mess and turned over to different gods and idolatry, and the kingdom was split, went all to pieces. But Saul's not found there in Hebrews chapter 11. They call it the Great Hall of Faith there. Now, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit could have left David, but he did not. It was a come-and-go ministry. At Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers and abide in the living church of Jesus Christ. 
and make them one body in Christ. One body in Christ. I'll give you an example here. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, the Bible says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. You see that? And then again in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, 1 Samuel verse 6, just a little bit of introductory stuff about the work, how it's changed somewhat, work of the Holy Spirit since Acts chapter 2. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, the Bible says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And, of course, you know the great penitential prayer of David in Psalm chapter 51, verse 1. You know what he prays? He prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, such a prayer would be ridiculous and would never be prayed by us after the Holy Spirit came to indwell the body of Christ. Amen? And we know this because we believe the Bible and we've been informed about the Bible. We've learned about the Bible and the Bible says about itself in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. If someone ever tells you you can lose your salvation, he's just saying, I can't, I'm sealed. I'm sealed. Well, you, you, you took the Lord's name in vain and you lost it. Well, you might think that, but that don't break the seal. Amen? I'm glad I have a salvation that's sealed. Sealed until the day of redemption. Even more specifically, in John 14, 16, I know these references are becoming very, very familiar to you by now. In John chapter 14, verse 60, when the Lord said about the Comforter, when he's come, that he may abide with you forever. That's a blessing right there. Never worry about those who think you can lose your salvation when the Bible is very specific that you can't. Now, a lot of that stuff, uh, I wouldn't believe it to be so. I was raised in a home that was taught that you couldn't lose your salvation so I grew up probably just like the normal child, having my doubts here and there, not having a relationship with the Lord when I should, not being in fellowship when I should. But one thing I didn't doubt very much was my salvation. But a lot of people aren't like that. In the early years of our family being here, we dealt with a multiplicity of people, older people, who were raised that you could lose your salvation. And one of the biggest helps they found was getting assurance of their salvation. And that's a blessing if you can get assurance of salvation in your golden years. Uh, therefore, this is now the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit until the rapture. And I believe you know that. I believe you understand it. And you ought to grasp a hold of it. It is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Bad works can't unsave you, and good works cannot save you. The Holy Spirit indwelling the body of the believer and making him... Uh, look at this reference with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. I throw this thing out here, and I change it just a little bit. Not on, I'm not trying to change the Scripture but I say it in a preaching fashion. But when you get saved, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to show you what you become. In the Old Testament, as, as, as foreseen, as seen in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand, right? Isn't that what it says? But you realize after Acts chapter 2, the ministry of the Holy Spirit changes, and when you trust Jesus Christ as a Savior, Look what you, happens to you. It's not that you're in his hand. You become part of his hand. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. This should be comforting to you as a Christian. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Wow. So if you could lose it, you know what the Lord would have to do? He'd have to cut off his hand, wouldn't he? He'd have to go. He'd say, well, I'm, I'm in the head. He'd have to cut off his head. You see how ridiculous that is? You say, well, I'm in the kneecap. He'd have to cut off. You see what I mean? You, you, you can't lose your salvation. You're bone of his bone. You're flesh of his flesh. You're one with him. <laughs> and that should give you some great courage and great comfort. 
Now, in this lesson on the work of the Holy Spirit tonight, we want to study matters under several different categories. I've got five on the board, and uh, we should be able to get through them. I'm going to go quickly, as I have done, because the references are up there. If you have any questions, snap a picture, and I can try to get to them later. By far, the largest of these categories is not up here. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the believer. And Lord willing, in the creek, don't rise or freeze. We'll cover that one next week. The work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the believer. The false emphasis, and uh, this is important for you to understand, uh, like I've been trying to preach more lately, it's good to know where you're at in the church age. It's good to know, I say good in the sense it's, it's, it's informative for you to realize that you're in Laodicea. It's informative for you to understand that your default mode of Christianity is going to be that I don't need anything as a Christian. And when you don't move forward for Jesus Christ, you're going to automatically fall into that. And you got to watch it. But the false emphasis on the Holy Ghost in the last 40 years, in the last 40 years, by many demon-possessed so-called charismatics and Pentecostals, is due largely to what fact? Here it is. The fact that the Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Southern Baptists have stopped teaching altogether about the Holy Spirit. This is not said to go around and... Straighten our wreaths. I say straighten pictures. <laughs> We've got wreaths. This is not to go around and straighten the wreaths and say, look what we're doing right. But we're trying to dictate truth. We're trying to tell you what the truth is. The truth is, in the last 40 years, people don't know about the Holy Spirit because they haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. And so we try to tell the truth about the matter. And I'll say this, and I won't have to repent, and I won't have to change my mind either. You have not heard a doctrinal message on the work of the Holy Spirit in 20 years or more. Hence, the need for doctrinal preaching on the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that includes you. It sure does. You have not heard one doctrinal message lasting one hour in length on the Holy Spirit and its work unless it was perverted by some kind of gist and somebody making me feel good. Now, here's the deal. Consequently, heretics have taken advantage of this great ignorance by fooling the masses and misapplying Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 19 to people who it doesn't belong to. Now, that's important for you to know. The reason the heretics have risen up and the reason these denominations that know, don't and know more anymore about the Holy Spirit than I know how to play a tuba, the reason they act like they're experts is because the Baptists have stopped pre uh, preaching and teaching that stuff. Our pulpits got cold a long time ago. The pulpits in America have gone so cold and so frozen cold that we now preach psychology. Well, if psychology lines up with the Bible, let her rip, tater chip. <laughs> But we need to learn about the Holy Spirit so we're not caught off guard, so we're not driven into heresy. Now, this lack of emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the average congregation would be perfectly apparent after going through these lessons. We're on five. We've got eight to go if you were to visit any church in the community. That is because, like I said, in the last 40 years, many of the people who have talked much about the Holy Ghost have been able to steal sheep out of other flocks by putting an emphasis on something about which they know nothing about. So here, like I said, here the typical nonsense is this. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? If you ever heard that, raise your hand. I'll just throw you on the spot. Absolutely. This is typical of the blasphemous foolishness carried on in this obscene type of work. You say, why does that happen? Because we stopped preaching doctrinal messages for the last 40 years. So now we're reaping what we're sowing. Any Christian who is saved already knows about the Holy Spirit and has heard about the Holy Spirit. So the question, therefore, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed, is nonsense. 
What I'm outright saying is when you get saved, you receive the Holy Ghost at the very moment of salvation. And to purport that you need some extra filling or serve some second blessing, uh, like in the days of Gypsy Smith and all that stuff, that's just, that's just private interpretation of Scripture. It doesn't exist. To teach otherwise is absolute heresy of the work kinds. Worst kinds. All right, let's just jump right into it. Number one, the work of the Holy Spirit in relation to creation. The work of the Holy Spirit, we'll look at this in relation to creation. So we've kind of continually covered a number of these things. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we read, The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So you see the Holy Spirit is present in creation. The Holy Spirit is active in creation. In addition, in Psalm 33, 6, and I have these references right up here for you if you need them. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Man, that's a great verse. We ought to look at that. Psalm 33, 6. Man, you couldn't, you couldn't locate all the riches of the King James Bible. When I tell you what, when that Bible says what it says and it's crystal clear, it's a real blessing. Bible says in Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. You know what the breath of his mouth is? That's the Spirit of God. Pneuma. Pneuma as in air. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit active in creation. And from our previous lessons, we learned that the Holy Spirit is like wind. It's like wind. So that's why we call this study pneuma, pneumatology, uh, like pneumonia, like your preacher has trouble with his air. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> serves me right, amen. Uh, those of you who run uh, air guns, air drills, it is warm in here, isn't it, brother? I thought it was just me, just, yeah, I'm not going to complain, brother. It's just like, you know, turn the air on, I don't know, <laughs> open the door. <laughs> Uh, but uh, pneumatology, uh, you know, you run an air gun at work. Uh, now the boys and I, we've uh, moved over to battery-operated guns, you know, but we still have an air compressor. We still have an air gun, you know. But at any rate, that's, uh, that's the idea behind it. So the breath of God's mouth is a spirit being turned on fans on. Let's get some air, some pneuma circulating around here. Amen. <laughs> so in creating the universe in Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was the medium. I want you to get that. The Holy Spirit was the medium, or he was the agent, through which the work was done. Uh, some additional verses would be like uh, Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26, verse 13, I'll read it for you. By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. Man, isn't that a great verse? By his spirit he hath garnished the heavens. Say, explain it. Can't do it, man. I just believe it. <laughs> I just realized that the Holy Spirit is active in creation. The Bible says, his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Oh, ain't that something? Job chapter 33, verse 4. The Bible says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Wait a minute, I thought my parents made me. Well, they might have had something to do with it, but you, you know who made you? Is the Spirit of God. And you wouldn't be alive, or you wouldn't have any sense at all if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God. Look at Psalm 104, verse 30. Psalm 104, verse 30. Another great verse. You know, the Bible speaks volumes about the Holy Spirit, and we've stopped teaching it. I'm saying we. I'm not just finger pointing. <laughs> I've got to clarify how I say that anymore these days. I'm just not pointing fingers. Uh, back in the early part of my ministry, I was the master of finger pointing. But you know what? That just makes us look good. But guess what? We're in the same shape everybody else is in. And uh, if, if we're going to do any good where we're at in Tawa City... If we're going to do any good where we're at in our homes and where we work, we're going to have to carry the doctrine, the sound doctrine with us. 
And we're going to have to make sure these pulpits, they stay hot and make sure the teaching is sound and clear. All right, Psalm 104.30, look at this. Thou sendest forth thy spirit. They are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. So first of all, we notice, number one, that the Holy Spirit is active in relation to creation. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but I've never sat around and said, I wonder what the Holy Spirit was doing at creation. But we just covered half a dozen verses that show you he was very involved in it and had very much a part in the work. That's encouraging to me. Number two, next, the Holy Spirit is also active in relation to the preservation of the universe itself. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 40. Here's another great verse. Another great verse that destroys the thought of Mother Nature. Destroys the whole concept of the weather channel. <laughs> Even though it's probably one of the harmless channels out there, except it gets everyone all worked up and goes grocery shopping all the time, you know. You know, we got, we got a winter storm, Hercules coming in. <laughs> Everyone goes, empties Walmart, you know. <laughs> Ain't no more toilet paper for a month. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7. There's a great verse, great verse. They're all great. The uh, Bible says, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. Now there's a lot packed into that verse right there. We just read Psalm 104, verse 30, which says, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. So by the word of God and by the Spirit's power, I want you to see that the world is renewed. The world is renewed. You want to know why you can plant a little old thing in the ground the size of your fingernail and have it come up in two big stalks as big as your forearms? It's because of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not because of Mother Nature. Don't ever make the mistake of giving credit to Mother Nature, the DNR, the Conservation Department. <laughs> Amen. They're blind as a bat flying in backwards. The reason this earth does not dry up in the heat of the sun and the reason this earth does not freeze in the black outer darkness of midnight is because the Spirit of God who made this universe is the one who sustains it. you got to realize that. You ever stop and, stop and think about what makes this world go around, what makes it spin? What makes it spin on the axis it is and always spins at the right speed and always at the right time and day and night and all that. It's the Holy Spirit of God just making sure it clicks along just the way it should. If you want to know why nature, especially up here in northern Michigan, after dying every winter and uh, being uh, sheened in the garments of ice and snow, suddenly in the sp uh, spring bring forth, burst forth into flower and song, and the little birds, they become all unbottled, and the trees uh, seem to put on their little boots of sod there. And all the daisies of the field, they're kind of, they're all enameled like little bombshells out there. You know why that is? It's because of the Spirit of God. You know what He does? He says, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's been a good slumber, hasn't it? Time to come back to work. You see, for humanists, their first God is man, and their second God is nature. That's why you can see in the book of Romans they worship the creature more than the creator. That's why they'll pass laws about the, oh, I don't know, the green stink bug and the blue pussycat, but yet you can go in and kill your own babies. They worship the creature more than the creator. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And the smarter they think they are, the dumber they become without the knowledge of God. But yet what it is, it's the Holy Spirit of God, according to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7, that renewest the face of the earth. You see what a basic difference between the objective 
educated, cultured, atheistic, materialistic, agnostic scientist who doesn't have any sense and a Bible believer is? You see that? You can read your Bible and you can say, you can see in two or three verses that the Holy Spirit of God is not only active in creation, but He's active in, active in the preservation of the universe. He wakes everything up. He puts it to sleep. He keeps everything from destroying itself. And then scientists have to write a 300,000 million page long dissertation on, you know, how to spend your money. That's the difference between a Bible believer and a scientist. The credit goes to God every time, not man. If you ever doubt it, go down to Florida. Uh, if you're a, such a smarty pants, go down to Florida and step into the eye of a hurricane. I remember going to school there, I think, what was it, 90, I don't know, 95, Hurricane Opal or Hurricane Aaron. One of those two come through, and uh, we were running food out, and I was driving a steak truck uh, there in Florida on campus and delivering stuff. Oh, you would have flipped out, Ma, if you didn't know I was driving a truck during a hurricane. But anyways, <laughs> we're like Superman, saving the day, you know, delivering, you know, ridiculous cafeteria food to all the hungry college students that were going to die, you know. And as I'm driving, windshields are blowing out of vehicles. And I'm going, ooh, this is real. <laughs> it's getting real. But all of a sudden, about a half hour later, the eye of that hurricane rolled out, and everybody come out of the dorms, and it was like, the sun, sun came out, and the birds started tweeting, and all that stuff. I'm like, man, it's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> About another hour goes by, though, you better get back in. The other side of that thing's coming through. You know what? There was nothing you or I could have done to stop that eye. You know, these scientists think they're so smart. Weather Channel people think they're so smart. You put them in the middle of the eye of a hurricane and say, go ahead and stop that thing. You ain't going to stop it. That's the Spirit of God. <laughs> Ain't that something? Well, let's go further. Let's go further. The Holy Spirit is active in relation to the unbeliever. Relation to the other. Take your Bible, go to John chapter 16. Is He's active in relationship to the unbeliever. The thing that uh, marks this age apart from any other age is a tremendous and mighty work done 24 hours a day by the Holy Spirit in convincing the unsaved world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'll read this passage again. We've read it for the last couple weeks. Hopefully by now it's settling in. Verse 8. The Bible wants to go back to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. You see it? Of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, the Lord probably tells me that every time I pray to him every day. He's like, I'd like to tell you a bunch of things, but you can't handle it right now, boy. <laughs> Come back tomorrow. We'll start over. <laughs> but uh, the great thing is uh, that marks this age apart from any other age is the 24-hour-a-day work that the Holy Spirit does uh, convincing the unsaved world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And as we just read in John 16, 8, he says, And when he has come, you'll notice again, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person, not like the Jehovah Witness teach, like some kind of urge or demiurge. Uh, and when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Holy Spirit, then, he is active today. He's active in the world today. One of the greatest warnings given by God in this day, in the age uh, in which you live, 
is found in a physical matter. You say, what's that? The oil supplies are depleting. You ever stopped and think about that? We told you uh, last couple of weeks that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And if you believe the King James Bible, you can understand oil problems better than forwards, marathon, or exo, or so, or whoever those oil companies are out there. And the reason most Christians refuse to believe this, believe what? That the oil supplies are drying up. I'll tell you why Christians refuse to believe this is because their nemesis, the Democratic Party, has told them that the oil reserves are drying up. And since the Dem I know I'm preaching on tough ground. You stick with it. You'll be all right. And since the Democrats said it and because the liberals said it, most Christians won't believe it. Isn't that kind of funny? Isn't that kind of funny in these days when a Democrat says something that's right, most of us will be like, ah, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. I didn't say we ought to follow the Democratic Party. Good grief, I wouldn't follow them across the street, man. Probably get run over. But they're onto something there. It ain't for a spiritual reason. I didn't say everyone needs to go out and buy an electric car. My goodness. That's ridiculous. But you know, though, you know the days are short because the oil supplies are drying up. And oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. And when you find the oil supplies giving out, you find the Holy Spirit is withdrawing himself from the active affairs of men and is letting nature take its course. Isn't it ironic how many hurricanes and how many earthquakes and all this stuff continues to increase every year upon year? Look at Genesis chapter 6. This thing's going to get repeated. Genesis chapter 6. All from a King James Bible. You say you got this from college. I did not. I did not. You say you got this from your preacher in Lumpton. I did not. I didn't. Amen. Genesis chapter 6. I'm telling you, I'm pushing 50 years old. I have to stand on my own two feet after a while. Amen. I can't, you know, even David, when he was young, he tried to put on Saul's armor and go out there and fight the giant. Didn't work too good. He had to get rid of it. You serve God, you might try to be somebody else, but you'll have to get your own effort. Now look at this thing in Genesis 6, 3. The Bible says, the Lord said, my spirit, there it is, shall not always strive with man. For that he also is flesh, his day should be 120 years. Back there at the time of Noah, he said, I'm going to cut this thing off. I'm done with it. And when you see the oil supplies and the oil reserves drying up the way they are, you know something's about ready to take place. You say, when's it going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> but it's sure going to happen a lot sooner than it was a couple years ago. Most Christians are funny that way, though. They won't believe it because the Democrat agrees with it, you know. But oil being a type of the Holy Spirit, and when you find the oil supplies giving out, you find the Holy Spirit withdrawing himself from the active affairs of men. He's withdrawing himself from the active affairs of men, and he's letting nature, nature, take its course. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't, I, I was going to go, go in and, Find out all the storms. I mean, they chart everything now, all those storms. and they go. It used to be back when I was a kid, you hardly make it through the alphabet. Now you make it through it two or three times on these storms. <laughs> you know? I'm telling you. What's happening? Well, oil is starting to go. And when the oil goes, you know what the Lord does? He turns nature loose. That's why when you get there in the book of Matthew, you hear wars and rumors of wars and all that stuff, all that ge geological stuff taking place. Why? Oil's drying up. Oil's dried up. What he's doing is he's letting human depravity come into full blossom. 
One of the great signs of the ends of this age has nothing to do with the fig tree or Gog and Magog or the red heifer or the, you know, or the pouring the footings for the new temple. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the simple fact that the oil is running out. And the end of the lady see in church time is when God begins to cease his striving with people as such because things will be repeated just like we read over there in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3. And brethren, our time's short. You say, why do you say that? Do you say that to impress us? No. Do you say that to scare us? Maybe a little bit, redeeming the time because the days are evil. I'm telling you, we don't have a whole lot of time. We preach sound doctrine so we can solidify our steps and go forward in the grace of God and do something with what he's given to us and have the confidence that we're going to be out of here soon. And we have a hope that's a purifying hope. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, and he that hath this hope purifieth himself. So it shouldn't be, well, you know, the Lord's coming back. Let it all go to Hades. No, it's the Lord's coming back. Let's tighten the ropes. Let's get closer to him. Let's try to get more done for him. Let's go ahead and stop and pursue in our own dreams and flush our own dreams and give all of our lunch to the Lord and see what he can do with it. Well, the Holy Spirit's in the world today, convicting the world of sin because they don't believe on Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting thing. The king crowning sin that damns a man to hell is not smoking. <laughs> it's not drinking. It's not fornication. It's not adultery. It's not rape. It's not kidnapping. It's not the drug smuggling and all that stuff. You know what it is? It's uh, the sin of refusing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Don't you know that unsaved men will confess any sin before they'll confess the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ? I've never heard of someone confessing the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. But yet, millions upon millions are doing it. That's one of the most remarkable physiological and psychiatrical phenomena in our day. There's not a single psychiatrist, saved or lost, who ever mentioned it or, uh, until you read uh, probably a book by either Clarence Larkin uh, or Dr. Ruckman. All the sins confessed in confessionals. You've never heard a man confessing the following sin. Lord God, I'm sorry that I rejected your righteousness in Jesus Christ and trusted my own. Please forgive me for trusting my own righteousness and setting the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. All right, the Bible says in John 16, And when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he'll convict the world of righteousness because Jesus Christ was completely righteous. That's how he convicts the world of righteousness, the unsaved. And we know that because John chapter 16 goes on to say of righteousness because I go to the Father. You realize that Jesus Christ would not have gone to his Father and risen from the dead if he not have been righteous. That's what determines how righteous he was because he got out of the grave. That's why I read in Acts chapter 17 verse 31, I think I got it on the board there for you. Acts 17 31 that God has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness, and hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. So the thing that proved the Christ's righteousness was the fact that he came up from the dead and went back to the Father without a hitch. Buddha couldn't do that. Muhammad, he's still stone cold dead. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin. He'll reprove the world of righteousness and of judgment. He'll convict the world of, uh, of judgment. You say, why? For Satan has already been judged at Calvary, and this is what you want to get a hold of. When Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary, Satan was judged. Satan was judged. You've got to remember, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, 10 to 15, 
the final contest took place between Christ and the devil. Although the issue has not been resolved between us and him, us and the devil, it's, there'll never be a contest between Jesus Christ and the devil ever again. It was resolved between Christ and Satan. Satan showed his true hatred for God. He showed his wrath against God's only begotten son. And he's, uh, he manifested his full satanic intention and motive and demonstrated it publicly. But thank God, Satan was defeated legitimately and lawfully on his own ground. And therefore, the world is condemned because it's prince. It's God is condemned. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 calls Satan the god of this world. You know why this world is judged? Because the devil's been judged. And you got to keep that in mind. The dominion now belongs to Jesus Christ. Well, hold the phone. Preacher, you always say that it always belongs to the devil. Okay. The dominion now belongs to Jesus Christ, but like David... Jesus Christ is a king in exile. And he's awaiting the day to come reclaim what is rightfully his. Remember all that time David was on? Now Jesus Christ ain't on the run. Don't get that picture wrong. Amen. But all those years that David ran, he was still the king. But he was a king in exile. Perfect picture and type of Jesus Christ. He's waiting. He's waiting to get his throne back just like David it is therefore because of that the work of the Holy Ghost to constantly bear witness of Jesus Christ and Calvary to remind the devil that he was judged to remind this world that they crucified a righteous man and the religious leaders they're following are not righteous and to convict the world of their own sin now this he does largely though not exclusively through the testimony of us as believers did you pick that up this he does uh, largely, but not exclusively, through the testimony of believers. Why? For he operates on the conscience of men through the Word of God. So therefore, it's our job to witness. It's our job to let the Holy Spirit use us in convicting men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You ever stop and think that when you're out in the community, or out to a restaurant, or wherever you're at in line somewhere, can I just guarantee and refresh you that the devil will never encourage you to pass out a track? So if you ever have that inkling, that's the Holy Spirit saying, give him a track. And yes, he'll always tell you to give a track when you don't have one. You know why? Because he's convicting you. <laughs> okay, why would the Holy Spirit? Why? Because, it, because maybe you'll be prepared next time. <laughs> and it's our job to witness. And that's the work we're supposed to do. And may the Lord help us get it done this week. Amen. Well, the Holy Spirit's work doesn't stop here. Number four, the Holy Spirit, of course, is the author of Scripture, has a very definite and continuous work in the relationship to Scripture. His job was not only to inspire the original autographs, but to preserve the infallibility and authority of that text so any believer in any age would have access to God's words. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the author of Scriptures and in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Turn there with me. Great passage of scripture here. 2 Peter 1, 21. Here we read, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see that? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You're right there in Peter. Now go back to 2 Timothy and we'll slow down for a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You've got to remember the Holy Spirit is the one who authored the scriptures. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, we read all scriptures given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Holy Spirit then inspires the scriptures, not the original autographs. If you, if you look back to 2 Peter 1 verse 20, uh, the 21, it's not necessarily talking about what man wrote in the text, but what man spoke. Isn't that what he says? I'll read it again. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see that? It's not necessarily talking about what man wrote, but what, God's, what uh, men spoke. And when the scriptures were written, the Holy Spirit inspired them. And the term scripture in the Bible has never, ever been a reference to any pile of original manuscripts. Now, this is the modern heresy taught by fundamentalists at Christian colleges and at every Christian university in America. Matter of fact, it's the heresy that everyone teaches, and this is the, that only the original manuscripts are inspired. You look at anyone's statement of faith, and you know what they'll tell you? Not a single one of them, not a single one of a hundred will tell you that the uh, King James Bible is inspired. They'll say that the Word of God is inspired in the original autographs. That's their favorite saying. And this is a blasphemous heresy coming from ignoring the context of the passage we were just at in 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, if you're a serious student of the Word of God, you should observe the context, which has nothing to do with the original manuscripts at all, in 2 Timothy 3, 16. Therefore, the blasphemous heresy that only the original manuscripts are inspired, which is taught and promoted by Christian educators like PCC, BJU, Northland Baptist Bible College, Crown College, West Coast, and the next 96, it comes from cutting up the context of 2 Timothy 3, 16. I didn't say there were bad people. I didn't say you couldn't get a good degree from them. I didn't say it'd be a good place to babysit your kids. You see what I mean? I'm saying they say that only original autographs are inspired because they misappropriate, they misapply, and they cut up the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3.16. The scriptures referred to in 2 Timothy 3.16 is not a reference to any original manuscript at all. It's a reference to writings that Timothy had more than 1,500 years after Moses wrote the Pentateuch. So you're going to tell me that Timothy had this pile of manuscripts, so probably about six feet high, you know, that he got from Moses, you know, great, 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 great granddaddy Moses? You're kidding me. He had a copy of it. And that scripture was inspired. And they misapply the context, and they misappropriate the context, and they cut it up saying, no, that just applies to the original autographs. Oh, stop it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, the preserver of Scripture, and the interpreter of Scripture. In John chapter 16, verse 14, we read that the Holy Spirit is the interpreter. In Luke chapter 24, and verse 45... We read that the, uh, we learn that Jesus Christ opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Well, that's what we ought to pray when we come before the Bible. You read the Bible in the morning. Lord, will you open my understanding to the scriptures? Man, we need our eyes opened. Not just in the church house, not just in the workhouse, but our own house. Apart from the divine interpreter, there's no Greek scholar or Hebrew scholar who can show you one thing from a manuscript in any version that you can't find in the King James Authorized Version 1611 with the Holy Spirit as your guide and teacher. In John 14, 26, the Lord Jesus Christ said, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, 
Whatsoever I have said unto you. Look at that. I want you to see it with your own eye. John 14, 26. He is not only the author of Scripture. He is not only the preserver of Scripture. But he is the interpreter of Scripture. John 14, 26. I mean, Joseph was smart enough in Genesis chapter 40. I think it's around verse 8 and 9. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? <laughs> they found out that Joseph was able to interpret the dream. And Joseph had enough sense that that thing belongs to the Lord. John chapter 14, verse 26. Bible, Jesus answered. No, that's 13. We don't want 13, 26. That's a bad one there. <laughs> Talking about Judas. <laughs> But the Comforter, uh, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Man, I'd underline that. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, we talked about this in previous lessons. One of the great reasons you should read the Bible and study the Bible and memorize the Bible is because when you put the effort into it, the Lord rewards the effort and the Holy Spirit's able to bring that stuff back to memory back to mind, but the reason most Christians can't lead a soul to Jesus Christ is not because he's socially awkward, because he's very good on Facebook, but it's because he's never read the passages, therefore the Holy Spirit can't bring them back to mind. So the Holy Spirit calls back verses to your mind and gives you help in answering difficult questions and problems. He's not only the author, he's the interpreter, and uh, he's the one that will help you learn the Bible. No prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. That's 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Let me say this. The Holy Spirit will teach you or you will not learn. The Holy Spirit will interpret scripture for you or you will misinterpret scripture. Let's move on to number five and we'll be done here. Number five, the Holy Spirit is also active in relation to Jesus Christ. Can you see how busy the Holy Spirit is? He never gets a day off. Uh, no vacations, no holidays, no overtime. He's just working around the clock 24-7. And some days I think I consume a lot of his time in trying to get him to help me deal with my problems. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is also active in relation to Jesus Christ. For example, uh, this is number one and number two. Jesus Christ was literally born of the Spirit physically. And not only that, he was the, the Holy Ghost was the author of the conception. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Luke 1, 35. He was born of the Spirit, and the Holy Ghost authored the conception. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. You see it? And the Holy Spirit's active in relation to Jesus Christ. He was born of the Spirit, and the Holy Ghost was the author of conception. Well, that's not all. Uh, the third one here, the Lord Jesus Christ was led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism for his testing. According to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, I'll read it. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He'd just been baptized. You know the story. You know the narrative. You know how that go thing goes in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit leads him right into the wilderness after his baptism to be tempted. He's very active. So we find the Holy Spirit certainly has a great deal to do with the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ wasn't a revolutionary. He wasn't a renegade. He wasn't working by himself. See what I mean? He was doing always those things that please the Father, and the person who helped him do it was the Holy Ghost. And the fourth thing here, Jesus was anointed for service by the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. He was anointed for service by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. And how'd you like to have that said about you? You know, people, you know, you have funerals. Oh, he's a good old boy. <laughs> old preacher said, we used to pick cotton together, you know. But here he goes. He's, <laughs> he was anointed, anointed. Jesus Christ was anointed with power, uh, with the Holy Ghost, uh, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Must have been a bunch of Baptists there, amen. For God was with them. You see that? Jesus was anointed for service by the Holy Spirit. Now that's not all. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Now I know some of these we've covered every single week, but they keep lining up. They keep lining up. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. This verse here tells us that Jesus Christ undertook the crucifixion through the power of the Holy Ghost. Ain't that something? Uh, one fellow said he took it like a man. Okay. Uh, yeah, he died, Jesus. Jesus the man died, Jesus Christ. The Son of God, he died as a man, but he underwent the crucifixion through the power of the Holy Ghost. Look at this thing in 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Think about it with me. Not too hard to understand, although I can't understand it. How in the world could you let someone crucify you when you're not, when you're not guilty of anything? You'd have to be anointed with power from the Holy Ghost. You'd have to have something on you that Ajax couldn't take off. Amen? And that's what you find there in the scriptures. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 4. We're coming to a close. The Holy Spirit is active in the life of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, and verse 4. We understand that Jesus was resurrected from the grave by the power of the Holy Ghost. Not only did he go through the crucifixion with the power of the Holy Ghost, he was able to raise up from the grave through the power of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. The Bible says here in Romans 1, 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. There it is, by the resurrection from the dead. You see that spirit of holiness? That's the Holy Spirit of God. Giving him the power to up from the grave, he arose. And there he comes. Well, a couple more. Jesus Christ instructed his disciples and his church through the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. Now we're going fast, but if I went any slower, you all would be sleeping. Amen. This is clerical. This is much study. This is Ecclesiastes 12.12. 12. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. <laughs> so I'm trying to move quick. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. I'm telling you what, if I had to sit uh, on the other side of this and I went any slower, I'd fall asleep on myself. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice what he says here. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the, there he is, Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. And last but not least, flip over one more chapter to Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the believers. He gave the Holy Spirit to the believers. The Bible says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. Therefore, we see the Holy Spirit is very, very important in the Word of God. Now, I'm telling you what, there's not a, and you're saying you're being cruel. No, I'm being honest. 
and I'm going to put us in the equation, there's not a charismatic, there's not a Pentecostal, there's not a Methodist, and there's not a Presbyterian, and there's not 99 out of 100 Baptists that know what we just went over. But it's always been there, and you and I have always had this book at our disposal. I say shame on us. So as your preacher, you pray for me that I do my due diligence to make sure you have the stuff that you need as a flock of God. And I'll leave the references up there and if you need them. Now there's other works of the Holy Spirit mentioned. I'll just mention them such as striving with men. The Holy Spirit enlightens men. He endues men with skill and wisdom. He helps men with ordinary tasks. And he anoints men for special jobs that require special abilities. And then, of course, that's the main work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, which we will do our due diligence to get to next week. So in our next lesson, we'll continue learning about the scriptural work of the Holy Spirit and the scriptural truth of the Holy Spirit as he works in the life of every child of God. And that should conclude lesson number five. All right, you catch your breath, stand. <laughs>